If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Romans to chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 15 and 16 together. It says, Nevertheless, brethren, talking to these Jewish brethren that are believers in Messiah. Paul says, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Yeshua the Messiah to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Why is Paul discussing the fact that he was speaking more harshly to his Jewish brethren? Because of his desire to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Well, if we turn back to chapters 2 and 3. Paul was talking to those who were trying to be teachers of the Gentiles. So if we go back to chapter 2, verse 17. It says, indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. And know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. That's referring to the Gentiles. The Gentiles he's referring to as blind and in darkness because they don't know the Torah. They don't know God's commandments. They don't know what God requires. So verse 20 says, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. The knowledge and truth is found in the Torah. But he says in verse 21, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You preach that a man should steal, do you steal? What he's saying is, you're telling the Gentiles that these are the commandments of God, but are you living them? Or are you simply giving lip service? If you're telling people to do one thing while you're doing another, which speaks more highly to the people that you're trying to teach? What you do. What you do. So he says you're teaching them right because you're teaching them out of the Torah, but you're not living it right. And if you're not living it, what makes you think they are going to learn to live it? So that's why he says over here in chapter 15 that I've written more boldly to you on some points. He's written that you need to watch how you walk, how you live, because it affects your testimony to others. So let's go back to chapter 15 and on to verse 17. Uh, isn't he also referring to the fact that uh, many of them are still trying to walk by the Levitical rules that are outside of Scripture, and they keep letting that get into their lives, so their halakha is not truly in accordance with the Torah. It's the Torah plus somebody else telling them how to do it. But is that saying something different, or is it that as you're teaching them how to live, make sure that's how you're living? Yeah, well, I mean... That's, that's what he's trying to do through all of Romans is trying to say this is the word right. this is the way and 
deviate. Yeah, and like Messiah said in Matthew 15 and Mark 7, if your halakha is based upon man-made rules and regulations, you're not living the Torah. You're not walking in the way of the Lord. You're not on that straight and narrow road. So how can you teach others to walk it if you're not walking it yourself? And it's the same with our denominations today. If you're strictly walking according to your denominational teachings, you're not reading Scripture. Because no denomination actually follows all of Scripture. And we should be trying to do that. Yes, I agree. Well, we try to be as a first century congregation. If you could have gone to church with Peter, Paul, James, or John, what would it have been? If anybody thinks that's sitting in a church Sunday morning, singing on a hill far, far away, that, that was not it. Okay, verse 17. Therefore, what does therefore mean? Yeah, because of this, I have reason to glory in Messiah Yeshua in the things which pertain to God. He has led many to Messiah, both among his Jewish brethren and amongst the Gentiles. Because even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, did he ever miss an opportunity to go into a synagogue on Shabbat and tell them the way it really is? But didn't that cause him to get beaten? Occasionally stoned? They tried to kill him many times. You know, those beatings that he took in the synagogue are what are called synagogue discipline. And he could have refused those. All he had to do was say, nope, I'm leaving, I'm not coming back. He took the beating so that he could stay in the synagogue and con could continue teaching the gospel despite the fact there were people that weren't hearing it. Again, he took those beatings just so he could stay and continue to teach. What does that give us as an example? What if people are ridiculing us and mocking us? Do we just get up in a huff and leave? Or do we try and try until they finally just ultimately reject it and then you stop throwing the pearls before swine? Number 18. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Messiah has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So Paul won't claim credit for another man's work. Did Paul plant the congregation in Rome? No. No, he did not. So he's not going to claim credit for it. He's never been to Rome. So how did the congregation in Rome get started? In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, there were people there from Rome who got saved. And what did they do when they got home? They spread it. They shared it. They congregated together on Shabbat and studied the word together. But Paul is unwilling to claim credit for anything that's happened in Rome because he's never been there. But notice in verse 18, 
in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. What does the word obedient mean? To follow the teachings. What did Paul teach the Gentiles? To break God's commandments? Or to follow God's commandments? How do you know for sure? Because he says it in several books. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 5. 1 Corinthians 5. We'll just go to 5. Chapter 5. Yep, it says it all over the place. You're right. 1 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 7. Therefore purge out the old leaven. What's leaven a picture of? Sin. Does that mean keep sinning or stop sinning? Stop. Stop. That you may be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Messiah our Passover. Which refers to the Lamb. Was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Which feast? Passover. Passover. But the majority of the Christian churches say, oh, no, on, that doesn't refer to That's Passover. No, no. That refers to the love feast that the church introduced centuries later that we call communion. Is that what Paul's referring to? No. Paul's referring to Passover. Not with all leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. But he tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, too, that these, these Christians come out of the Gentile world. So why are they celebrating Passover? Because he taught them to. 1 Corinthians 7, 19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. That should drive out any concern from the teachings we learned growing up that Paul said, don't keep the commandments of God. That should just take that and throw it right in the trash can. What matters? Keeping the commandments of God. Nothing Nothing else. Because are we saved by keeping commandments? No, but... Why then do we keep the commandments of God? Because of our faith and because we love him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why do people have such a hard time with that? Because they've been taught. Yeah, yeah i got to throw myself in there too. I was taught growing up that the commandments, uh, they're not for us. They were done away with. Gary Smalley missed his opportunity when he wrote the love languages because he didn't put that in there. Yeah, maybe he should have. <laughs> but just think about it for a moment. Think about it. Deuteronomy 18 gives what standard for a prophet? Every word they speak must come to pass, right? So every prophet we can turn to in the scriptures says that God's commandments are forever. So if they're not, if we're wrong and the commandments have been abolished, then what does that say about all of the prophets? That they're all false prophets. Isn't that what the world is saying today? That's what the world's saying without even realizing that's what they're saying. 
Just look at one verse, Matthew 4.4. 4. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If the commandments had been abolished, then that statement is not true. And who said it? Yeshua, Yeshua did. What would that say about Yeshua? So we don't have to sit here and wonder, are we being misled? Um, is, were the commandments really abolished and we're just trying to resurrect something dead? We can rest assured that that is not the case. Are we just being legalistic? Are we just being legalistic? And the scripture that was, well, I don't think it's really scripture, but the, the part, I can't remember which gospel it's in, but it says, and thus... That's in Mark chapter That's 7 in the NIV. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. in a parenthetical, though. Right. And if you look in the front of the book, it says the parenthesis indicates a translator's comment. And, I mean, I, I was listening to something the other day, and they just threw that out there. Yeah. yeah. Thus, they made everything clean, and you don't have to worry about it. And what if that's true? If that's then the rest of the Bible falls apart. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. Isn't that what the Bible says? So if the laws were abolished when Messiah was crucified, there hasn't been a sinner since. Nobody's needed a savior. Everyone's going to heaven. So that does kind of make us legalists, doesn't it? Because we choose to follow the law. In a good way. In a good way. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the, the word legalist means we're trying to get to heaven by following the law, which is not true. Yeah. The problem is, it's not a biblical term, nor is a, there's all kinds of terms they throw at us that are not biblical terms. They're made up doctrinal terms. They're like sticks and stones will break my bones, but those words will never hurt me. Yeah. So let's get back to Romans chapter 15. And Susie Q makes a good point. Says She says, obedient to what if the laws are done away with? There you go. <laughs> yep. Obedient to your parents. Yeah. Verse 19. In mighty signs and wonders. What mighty signs and wonders did Paul do? Miracles. <laughs> he did miracles. He even lived through some miracles. Remember him getting bitten by the snake and everybody said, well, he's dead. And then... Wait a minute. He's still alive. They want to proclaim him a god. He said, no, no, no. I'm not god, but I worship one. He, he healed people by uh, napkins that would float through the air between him and the person being healed that when they tested. Wasn't that, wasn't that Paul doing that? Handkerchiefs that the people would bring to him to yeah. take back to Aprons the sick person. And, yeah, yeah, but I don't know if they floated through the air. That's the part that I don't quite remember. That's Aladdin's carpet. But yes, he performed many miracles of healing, as all the apostles did. And yet he did not receive healing. Yeah, he did not receive healing. His eyes were so bad. In one of his letters, he says, I signed this with my own hand. You can tell because the letters are gigantic. I paraphrase. Right. So that, that kind of blows the theory that of the uh, prosperity doctrine yeah besides that all the apostles would still be alive because they keep raising each other from the dead <laughs> and yeah they're long <laughs> since gone but verse 19 and mighty signs and wonders by the power of the spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Messiah 
this verse is a very important verse to me. Because that verb I have fully preached is that same verb root plurao, which you see back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That's the same verb that Paul uses in Romans 15, 19 to say, I have fully preached. So what Messiah came to do was to fully preach the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, as well as the prophecies about his first and second coming. Why this is so important is, what had the scribes and Pharisees done? Had they fully preached the commandments of God? No. They had fully preached their man-made doctrine, not the commandments of God. And Messiah came to show us that you've got to follow God's commandments, not the man-made rules and regulations. Let's also look at Matthew chapter 26. Hello there. Come in. Come on in. Can I help you? Sorry, y'all having services. Come on in. That's okay. <laughs> hey, y'all. Hi. Okay. What was that last reference? Matthew chapter 26. Verses 52 to 54. Matthew 26, verses 52 to 54. Matthew chapter 26, verses 52 to 54, which says, But Yeshua said to him, Put your sword in its place. Who's the him? Peter. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to the Father, my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? That word fulfilled is from that same verb root, plurao. Were the scriptures abolished? Nope. Nope, they were not. What were they? They were fully preached. They were fully described such that we could understand them as God intended them to be. Ratified, okay. Then let's go on to the scriptures. Romans chapter 15, verses 20 and 21. Saying, so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. Not where Messiah was named, meaning not where others had already preached. I wanted to go out into new areas where no one had heard the gospel before. It says, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. So he wants to go into areas where the gospel has never been preached before and reach people that have not heard, people that had no hope. 
But what is this quote from? From Isaiah chapter 52. From verse 15, but I need to go look at the context. So let's start at chapter 52, verse 13 of Isaiah. Isaiah 52, 13. Context is everything to this one. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. What's the word visage mean? His appearance, his facial features. What does that mean as far as the look of his face when they were done with the crucifixion? Didn't even look like a human being. They had ripped his beard out. Think of the shrouded terrain where it's a nice, clean face with a full beard and all. That's your first clue that that's not the real. The second clue is in the book of John chapter 19, he says he was wrapped in strips of linen, and it's a solid cloth. The third is that the face cloth was folded lying separately, and it's a solid sheet without a separate face cloth. And then there's pagan coins on the eyes to pay the boatman to take him across the river Styx. And yeah, yeah, that's not it. Okay. That, that way, I'd like to make a comment. If I make, when I have overalls on, I've had my beard get caught up in the little strap holders. Uh-huh. And you turn your head and it yanks one, one hair out, it'll make you want to dance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you to trim it Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. And his form, more than the sons of men, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. What they had not heard, they shall consider. This is about the crucifixion of Messiah, death, burial, and resurrection. And for what had not been told them, is referring to the kings of the nations. So the Apostle Paul said, I have a mission not just to go to the people of the nations, but also to the kings, to very palace of Caesar and Rome itself. That was where he was headed. And verse 15, man gives an alternate reading. Not so he shall sprinkle many nations, but so he shall startle many nations. When you look at his visage and you see, I don't know why King James put in sprinkle. You know, there's kind of methods that uh, this is startled. And yeah, that fits more with the passage. But sprinkle also fits too. You think? Let's go back to Ezekiel. Yeah. Startle in the instance 2,000 years ago when they saw him. But because of his death, burial, and resurrection, there's a sprinkling to come as well. I believe it's Ezekiel chapter 36. Over in one of the first Verse 25, Ezekiel 36, 25. There is no 25. Ezekiel, what? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. I'm in the wrong one. I'm in 38. 
Yeah, 38 Gog and Magog, but 36 verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. If he had not been crucified as he was, then he would not be able to sprinkle the nations. So, that may be why King James did that. We'll see. Back to Romans chapter 15, up to verse 22. For this reason, for what reason? Because he's been trying to plant congregations in places where there weren't any. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Paul has wanted to go to Rome. He has wanted to get there before large congregations sprang up. He wanted to be part of the grassroots movement that brought people to Messiah. He just hasn't been able to get there yet. And while he's been busy in other places, others got to Rome and established the congregations there. But, he says in verse 24, whenever I journey to Spain, Spain at this point is still completely pagan. It's ready for one of the apostles to come in and preach the gospel and start building congregations. So Paul's got his eye on Spain because that's new territory for the gospel. So whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. So Spain really needs the gospel. The question is, does Paul ever get to Spain? The answer is, that's debated. There's nothing in the scripture that says he did, but there's bunches of books out there that says he must have on a fourth missionary journey that the Bible just forgot to tell us about. Well, all we know is what the Bible tells us, and that's that he got to Rome and didn't get on to Spain as far as we know. He says, for I hope to see you on my journey. So he has every hope, every intention to travel to Spain. But does he get to decide where to take the gospel or does God guide him? God guides him. And to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So he hopes that while he's in Rome, he can build them up some, preach to them, encourage them, and maybe they will help meet his physical needs as he goes on to Spain. That's his hope. He says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. What does that mean? We know what the saints are, those who have faith in Messiah and keep the commandments of God. That's not a missionary field to preach the gospel to get people saved. Those are people that are saved. Is he taking the money that they Yes, exactly. She says, is he taking the money that other congregations have given to support the saints in Jerusalem? And the answer is that's absolutely right. Let's start in Acts chapter 11. There's a big famine in the world at this point in time. We read about it first in Acts chapter 11. Verses 27 to 29. 
Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 29. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it by the hands, send it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Who's Saul? That's Paul. So Paul has been commissioned that as he goes to the churches in the Gentile communities, that he will take up a collection and bring it back to Jerusalem for the Jewish saints in Jerusalem that are suffering so terribly, not only by this famine, but also by the cost of being a disciple. Because back in those days, if you became a disciple, if you were a physician, no Jewish patient was allowed to come to you. If you were a lawyer, whatever your profession, no non-Messianic Jew was able to come and avail of your services. So there was a lot of financial impact on them, as well as this great famine that's taken place. Let's see also 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Remember, Paul took a Nazarite vow. Do you remember that? And he needs to get back to Jerusalem by the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot or Pentecost, in order to finish that, to complete the vow. And when he gets back there to complete the vow, that's when he will give all these gifts that have been collected to the poor back in Jerusalem. So in chapter 16, verse 1, this is what's taken place, verses 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints. That's the one from Acts chapter 11, verses 28 and following. I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week. See that? First thing you notice is day is in italics. The next thing you notice when you look at the Greek is there is no first and there's no week. It says, on one of the Sabbaths. That is one of the seven Sabbaths between Passover and the Feast of Weeks. Paul's going to stop by there on one of those Sabbaths. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. In other words, if you lay it aside and have it ready for me, then I won't have to come and pick through your pockets. You'll just have it ready to give to me, and I can go on to the next. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. In other words, you don't have to just give me the stuff and the money and trust me to take it. You can send somebody from your congregation with me who can report back that your gifts got to Jerusalem just as we promised and were used for the very purposes that we told you they were going to be used. Kind of like I send out the monthly report to tell you where your offerings went and you can see they went where you wanted them to go. 
Verse 4, but if it's fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And then in Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Verse 17. Paul has been away for many years on his missionary journeys. We know that his missionary journeys were very long. And he says in verse 17, Now after many years I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. So after taking up these collections, he eventually was able to come back to Jerusalem to bring the gifts and offerings for the poor in Jerusalem who were suffering. And what happened then when he was in Jerusalem? Does he get arrested and sent to Rome eventually? Yeah, that's what happened. We need also look at Galatians chapter 2 verse 10. Galatians chapter 2 verse 10. We'll start in verse 7 to show the context. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised, the Jews, was to Peter. For you worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So when, they, when the other apostles sent Paul out on the missions, they encouraged him to take up these collections wherever he went to bring them back to the poor. And he said, well, that's what I wanted to do anyway. So that was not a burden on my ministry. Back to Romans chapter 15. Verse 26. For it pleased those from Macedonia. What's Macedonia? Greece. Greece. And Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. So you can see he's still talking about how pleased he was to bring back the gifts and offerings to those in Jerusalem. Verse 27 says, It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. That is, the Gentile believers are indebted to the Jewish believers for sending out the gospel message to them. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 1 through 15. Gee, that's all of chapter 9. But it's all about the ministering to the saints. This is Paul's testimony. 
Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So he's committing the Corinthians for their desire to help those that are in the poor back in Jerusalem. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Paul says, we've been boasting about how ready you are. Don't let me down now. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready, ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So yes, they made the promise, but Paul has sent brethren ahead to make sure they didn't need a little help getting things organized. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I bet you've never heard this preached from the pulpit about the offering plate, have you? Does it have anything at all to do with the offering plate? No, it does not. It's about giving for the poor. So that each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Messiah, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So Paul is commending them for their great generosity toward the poor in Jerusalem, referring to the believing Jews that are back there in Jerusalem. So he wasn't preaching to them about seed faith so they could buy him a new jet plane. No, he was not. Oh, yeah, that was a recent one, wasn't it? Yeah. Romans chapter 15, we're up to verse 28, I believe. Therefore, 
when they have performed this, and we have sealed to them this fruit, meaning delivered it, I shall go by way of you to Spain. So Paul's intention is to take these gifts and offerings to the poor believing Jews in Jerusalem. And then when that's completed, he will have completed his Nazarite vow. He will be ready to set out in his fourth missionary journey to Spain by way of Rome. Was it from Beowulf? I remember the quote, the best laid plants of mice and men gang off to Glay. All I remember is the line. Yeah. I can't tell you where it comes from. Even especially what yeah, okay, but the point is this. Yeah, somebody on the internet out there is gonna tell me what it is, but it doesn't matter. The point is Paul may intend it. But that doesn't mean that's God's plan. And the scripture reminds us, we shouldn't say, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow and three years from now. It's if the Lord wills, that's what I'm going to do. Because the Lord has a way to feed you to the fishes if you decide you're not going his way. So his way is the best way. Let's see. Somebody says Steinbeck, I think. Somebody says Robert Burns. It's in his poem to a mouse. It's in his poem to a mouse. But it brings us back to it doesn't matter where it comes from. It's just a true old statement. Very applicable to a lot of situations. Yeah. That we may intend to do the following, but we should always put the caveat that if it's in God's will. Bible doesn't say he ever got to Spain. Tells us he got arrested before he ever got to set out that way. But again, there are a lot of books written out there that say, oh, there must have been a secret mission. We just don't know. Verse 29, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Messiah. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, that through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. He's asking for prayer. I want so badly to get to Rome and to Spain. Please pray that God will let me do that. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. What's he mean in verse 31? That it may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Are there non-believing Jews in Judea who want to kill the Apostle Paul? They made vows that they wouldn't eat even until he got destroyed, right? Yeah. Verse 33, that it may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. See, Paul doesn't forget that it's got to be within the will of God. But let's look at Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Verses 10 to 14.
Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Did you hear that word Agabus before in our study today? He was one that prophesied the famine. But here he's got another prophecy. When he came to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Two reasons. To complete the vow and to take the offerings and gifts back to the poor in Jerusalem. They're saying, Paul, don't go. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Yeshua. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. So Paul's been told in a prophecy that, Paul, you're going to get bound in Jerusalem. So what does Paul pray in Romans chapter 16? Pray with me that the Lord's going to let me go on and come to Rome. Not to die in Jerusalem. Then in Acts 21 verses 26 to 36. Let's follow this story. What happens? He's been told he's going to be bound. Acts 21, same chapter, verses 26 to 36. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, what does that entail, being purified with them? They have to have the hair cut off to be burned on the sacrifice. They have to have a mikvah, which we would call a baptism. They have to do the animal sacrifice with the hair burned on it. All that's involved in the purification. Enter the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Remember, he's going to buy the animals for their sacrifices, just like he buys his own. Now in the seven days were almost entered, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. This is not laying hands on as in the smichah of ordination. This is laying hands on to do bodily harm. Crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the Torah, and this place. Is that true? Well, it is not true. used to be true. Never was true. No. Never was. He was against Messiah. Never was true. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with them in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. There's something in the subcontext here that we need to be aware of. There are many who teach that Luke was a Gentile. He was not. He was a, a Hellenist Jew, that is a Greek-speaking Jew. But if he had been a Gentile, they would have been screaming that he brought him into the temple, which they don't. 
But notice Paul did not bring Trophimus the Ephesian into the temple. They simply assume that he did. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. What garrison is this? Roman garrison just north of the temple on the temple mount. Yeah. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Meaning, what were they doing before the soldiers got there? They were beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. Mind you, the commander has no idea what's going on. But he throws Paul in irons anyway. And he asked him who he was and what he'd done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. Why did some cry one thing and some another? Because it was all rumors. There wasn't any truth. There were no accusations to stick. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, that is everybody screaming something different, he commanded to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, meaning he couldn't even walk up the stairs. For the multitude of people followed after, crying out, Away with him! Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Now wait a minute. I grew up all my life being told that everybody in Israel spoke Greek. That that was the language everybody spoke. All the apostles, they wrote the gospels in Greek because that was the language everybody spoke. So what does the guy ask him? Can you even speak Greek? That should be a clue that maybe not everything we were taught growing up was true. And look at verse 40. So when he given him permission, Paul stood in the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, and to all the people standing around going, saying, what is this funny language? We don't understand a word he's saying. It says, and when he heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Let's see, I have two red ones out here. Let's see. Susie Q asks, was the prophetic information from Agabus to be a warning to Paul? The answer is yes, that Paul was going to suffer this. And then a person privately asked, why did the Romans ask Paul if he spoke Greek? Did the Romans speak Greek? The answer is yes, the Romans spake, spoke Greek. Did they not speak Latin? They spoke Latin too. Latin and Rome, Greek when they were out in the nations. Now go to Acts 22. We've got to pick up in verse 21. Paul is explaining to the people how God sent him on this mission. And because he's speaking to them in Hebrew, they're listening very intently. Until he gets to verse 21. 
Acts 22, 21. Then he that is the Lord said to me, Paul, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word. Was it the fact that Yeshua is the Messiah, that he was crucified and buried, that they objected to? No. He was sent to the Gentiles. That's what sets him off. Then they raised their voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging. That's whipping with the cat and nine tails. So that Paul will confess to him what he's done wrong. That angers all these people. Says so they might know why they shouted so against him. <clears throat> As they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, that's the one that's about to beat him with the cat and nine tails, <clears throat> is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Anybody know the answer to that? No, it is not. Majinoito, this would cost the centurion his head if this gets back to Rome. <laughs> says, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman. And because he had bound him. Not even supposed to do that. Not even supposed to do that. Put a Roman citizen in chains. They took his word. They didn't want proof. When he said it, they said, whoops. Yeah, they didn't ask for a passport, did they? No. <laughs> the FBI didn't have to come steal it from <laughs> So let's go on. In Acts chapter 23, we're looking at how does Paul get to Rome? What happened? Why didn't he make it to Spain? Acts 23, verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. It's all the Lord's will. Paul is going to get to speak to Caesar himself the leader of the known world. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. I wish the Bible told us how many of them actually starved to death and how many of them broke their vow. Let's go to Acts 24, verse 27. After being examined by Felix and Agrippa, Felix puts him in prison. Why? He wants a bride. He wants a bride. That's exactly right. Let's start in Acts 24, 25. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. 
Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. A bribe. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, for two years, he's been keeping Paul in prison. Portius Festus succeeded Felix. And Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Chapter 25, verses 6 to 12. Yeah. January 6th. Acts 25, verses 6 to 12. And when he had remained among them for more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. It's going north. Why do they say it's going down? Because you always go up to Jerusalem and down from Jerusalem. So this Caesarea, Caesarea Maritama, which was where the big Roman palaces were in Israel. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he come down, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Why could they not prove them? Because they weren't true. They were lies. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. If Paul had been teaching people to break God's commandments, could he say this truthfully? He could not. Which tells you that those allegations were not true. And yet those same lies I heard all my life growing up in the church that Paul taught the commandments are abolished. Don't do that. Eat pigs, eat shrimp, Break Shabbat. These things will make God happy. You know, I found out that a lot of people that say that, and I say, well, where? show me in the Bible where it says that. Oh, I don't know, but that, that's, that's what I've been told. Yeah, exactly. Verse 9, But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. What right did Paul have to say, I deserve to make my case to Caesar? He's a Roman citizen. That was the right of a citizen. So to the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. So Festus' plan had been, I'm going to take Paul down to Jerusalem and the Jewish non-believers are going to kill him on the way and it'll be a oopsie. Sorry about that. And Paul knows it. So he says, I demand my right to go before Caesar. Verse 12, then Festus, when he conferred with the council, answered, God bless you. You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. And that's how Paul ends up getting to go to Rome but not on his fourth missionary journey to Spain as he had hoped. So back to 
Romans chapter 15, verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The theological portion of the letter is over. Chapters 1 through 5 were about the doctrine of justification. 7 and following were about sanctification. And then the last few chapters were about practical things. Now chapter 16 is about commending people. Commending people. We're believers in the day that Paul is writing in the 60s of the common era. Very trusting of people. Just invite anybody and everybody into your congregation. The answer is no. Because many times they were sent out by the Sanhedrin to take people into prison and bring them to death. So because Paul is so well known, he says, let me give you some other names that when they come to see you, these people are okay. It's not a subterfuge. They're not coming from the Sanhedrin. You can trust these people. So in verse 1 it says, I commend you Phoebe, our sister, (coughs) who is a servant of the church in Cancrea. We can read about her in Acts chapter 18. Let's go back to Acts chapter 18. All these people are well known to Paul, but not well known to the Romans. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila who were with him were with him. He had his hair cut off at Cancrea, for he had taken a vow. And where's Phoebe from? Cancrea. So this, what's that? Where is that? It's where Priscilla was from. <laughs> Somewhere along the I don't know exactly where it is. But this is how he comes to know her and how he can commend her to them because she was a great help to him when he was at Cancrea. Back to chapter 16, verse 2. That you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. That tells about her character. How does the scripture describe the saints in Revelation 14, 12? They have the faith in Messiah and keep the commandments of God. So this tells them that she truly is a believer and that Paul knows this from personal experience, not just rumor. And a sister in whatever business she has need of you For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. That's where he adds the personal touch. Yes, I know her personally. It's not just rumor. It's not just reputation. In verses 3 through 5, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Messiah Yeshua, who risked their own necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but also to all the churches of the Gentiles. 
Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Messiah. So let's go back to Acts 18, verse 2 first. Acts 18, verse 2. Not only did Priscilla and Aquila help Paul with physical things like food and a place to sleep, but they risked their very lives to save his, which should give the, <clears throat> the church in Rome great confidence that they can accept these people. Acts 18, verse 2. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So Claudius Caesar had exiled all Jewish people from Rome. Which gives you an idea that most of the Roman church is Gentile. And then in verse 18, we read a few minutes ago. Verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. So they sail with him to Syria. And then in verse 26 of the same chapter, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. That's not Paul. That's somebody else. But the point is, they had a good knowledge of the gospel and the way of Messiah. And such that they were able to explain to others and teach them the true way to worship God. Back to Romans chapter 16. Verse 6. Greet Mary who labored much for us. I can't give you a good reference for Mary because there's Marys all over the New Testament. That was a very common name. Verse 7, Meet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Messiah before me. So they were saved before Paul was saved, which gives them a very early early date for coming to Messiah. Verse 8, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Messiah, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Messiah. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who were with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus, and all the saints who were with them. 
Meaning if any of these come to visit you, you can know that they are safe. They're truly brothers in the Lord. You have nothing to fear from them. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Messiah greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, here's where we get us a little more theology. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. So who does he tell them to beware of? Those who come teaching contrary to the true doctrine. Is he warning them that there's false teachers out there who will bring in false doctrine and they have to be really, really careful? So what this means is avoid, quote, believers, unquote, who are actually false. And I wanted to take a little look at how many times we get warned to beware of false teachers. Let's start in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. What color are the words? They're red. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Well, how can we tell the difference? Look at verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. But they're not trees. And they don't have apples and pears hanging. So what does this mean? Keep a finger here or don't. And go to 1 John 3.10. 1 John 3.10 tries to lay out for us a real simple test. To tell whether a teacher is true or not. 1 John 3.10. Wait a minute, I have a red number one out there. Let's see. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Edmund. First John 3.10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. That is made obvious. Here's how you tell one from another. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. But the key is, whoever does not practice righteousness. If they do not practice righteousness, what are they practicing? Lawlessness. So this is the way to tell. Do they keep the commandments or don't they? If you look at the majority of the theologians that are teaching out there on YouTube, are they teaching you to follow the commandments of God or to break them? Let's look also at Matthew chapter 24. The bad thing is that some of them sound really good. If I, I just noticed, they sound really good, yeah. I just noticed something that spoke out to me right here. What was that? Bill? Verse 11. Uh-huh, what's it say? For this is the message that you have you heard from the beginning. And this is this is stating right here in the so called New Testament that the so called Old Testament 
is speaking the same thing what they're reaffirming yep. here. So, I've told you before, I see no difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those who see them as two separate, completely opposite and opposing books, I think just right. need to study them a little more. I've heard people say this, the New Testament doesn't say that. Well, here it does, right plain. Yeah. Matthew 4, 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds yep. from the mouth of God. Yep. Speaking of the Old Testament. Uh, speaking of the Old Testament, 2 Timothy 3.16 is speaking of the Old Testament. It says every scripture is breathed out of God's mouth. Yep. So Matthew 24, verses 11 and then verse 24. Verse 11 says that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You see how flat my forehead is? I keep listening to preachers say, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. People are running stop signs. They're speeding in school zones. It's lawlessness out there. Is that the lawlessness we're talking about? No, it is not. Verse 24 of Matthew 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Your people say, but, but these people have done miracles. People are healed in their services. People are healed in their services, yeah. What does Deuteronomy 13 tell us? What's that, dear? I said that's why some of them have bouncers. That's why some of them have bouncers, yeah. Any true believers coming? See. <laughs> Pat Collette says in sixteen thirteen, my mother. Don't quite understand that comment. Maybe somebody else out there does. But verse twenty four, did we do that? We did, didn't we? False messiahs and false prophets will arise, and in Second Corinthians eleven. So Messiah warned us over and over about the false teachers that were coming. What about Paul? 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Messiah. Meaning like... Doc said, they look good sometimes. Sometimes they have a sweet message that just gives diabetes to the ears. <laughs> and he says, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their, What? Works, not words, but works. Yeah. Well, I see lots of people saying, yep, that's Paul's mother. Okay. Galatians chapter 2. Do we have more warnings? We do. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. And this occurred because the false brethren secretly brought in 
who came in by by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Messiah Yeshua, that they might bring us into bondage. People say, that means Paul said, we're free to commit all the sins we want. We were having this drunken orgy, and they came in and told us to behave. That's not at all what this is talking about. He's free to be the liberty. of the Lord because he's not following the 50,000 false rules. Exactly. We have liberty in the Torah. The liberty sets us free. It's the law of liberty. It's the law of liberty. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. Now, what about Peter? Did he warn us? Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Probably comes after 1 Peter. We'll see. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 1 to 22. The whole chapter is about watch out for these false teachers. Verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring in themselves swift destruction. Let's try and see if we can think of one destructive heresy denying the Lord who bought them. How about he was crucified on Friday and raised on Sunday? If he was crucified on Friday and raised on Sunday, that's not three days and three nights, which makes him a false prophet. If he's a false prophet, he's not the Messiah. What about transubstantiation, that he gave blood and human flesh to his disciples before he was crucified, which would mean that he was crucified a sinner and his death did nothing. These are destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. Verse 2, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. That is, they will teach that the commandments of God are not for us. They're not to be followed. That was for them old people. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Really? They want money from you? These false teachers want money from you? Really? For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, it's actually Tartarus, it's not hell, Tartarus, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. These are the angels of Genesis chapter 6. That so many preachers out there say, oh, they weren't angels. Angels didn't have children by human women. What does this tell us? They were angels, and they sinned. And God cast them into Tartarus, which is the pit that gets opened in Revelation. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people. A preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. This terrifies me sometimes. To think that at the time of the flood, there were only eight people who escaped. At the time of Lot, only three people escaped. And yet I hear preachers preaching end times prophecy saying billions of people are going to get raptured in the rapture. You know what's amazing? I don't think so. About the Lot? What's that? You know, when he, what his two daughters did. Yep. And God knew beforehand what was going to happen. Yeah, but you have to understand, 
They thought they were the only three people left in the world. And God had commanded, be fruitful and multiply. So maybe we ought not to judge them well, too harshly. Judge, I, I yeah. mean, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, that how loving and kind and patient he is. Yeah. Because that's exactly what it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Your offspring do get judged, don't they? They will, yes. Uh huh. So what, what, Wab and done, Ammon. what was done was wrong. Yes. And no good comes out of evil. Right. They thought they were doing good, but they weren't. But then you got a drunk there, and you got a drunk with Noah. So you got problems with people drinking. Yeah. Excessively, yeah. Yep. Verse 6 And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. We're supposed to learn not to do that bad stuff by looking at what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Instead, what do we do today? We ordain homosexuals. And we marry homosexuals in the church. Did we not learn the example Verse 7, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that he did not take part in it. For, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. That should cause one to stop and go. Those people were not Jews. They were not part of Israel. And their deeds were still what? Lawless. Well, there was no Israel at that time. No, but there was the law. Right. Correct. There was no Israel. No, but there yeah, but was the point the is, there was the law, yeah. and it applied to the Gentiles. It applied to whoever, whoever was breaking it, it applied to. Yep, yep. You know, there's, in that verse, talks about, um, for that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his own righteous soul day to day. And I remember that. I don't know where the verse is about. I think Yeshua is talking. And he says that you, that you not even mention the things that are done in the darkness. That's a loose translation. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like because to think it really affects us. Yeah. I like does. to think where Lot's mind might have been. You know, he, he was... He was soul was vexed because of the wicked place he was living in. He was happy that God was taking him out. His wife turned around and looked when she wasn't supposed to have got turned to a pillar of salt. So he's lost his wife. And he's going on out. And, you know, they may very well have been assuming that the whole world, the rest of the world was gone. So, and his daughters incurred and made him get drunk. All right. So I've been in a place in my mind with all the stuff that's happened me in my life. And it, I know from my own experience that it's easy to be, you know, when there's so much stuff oppressed upon you, it's been easy for me to seek relief somehow, you know. And, and we I, are easily my, my deceived. Right. My faith wasn't right at that moment. Yep. Time to do I'm better. Not, I'm not justifying. I understand. I understand. I understand. You know, from this, what happens with men? 
Yeah, scripture says we must be careful and guard ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand. And will utterly perish in their own corruption. And if we kept reading through the end of the chapter, what this is telling us is that don't be deceived. Judgment day is coming. You may escape God's judgment for a little while, but if you remain unrepentant and living in sin, it's going to catch up to you. And the worst is in verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So what does Peter say about the commandments? They're holy. And it would be better never to have known the Lord than to know the Lord and then walk away from him. Boy, I've seen too many people do that. That just breaks my heart. 1 John 4.1 Does John also warn us about the false teachers? To which you go, yeah, you wouldn't have us go to 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. What do you test the spirits against? The Bible, the word of God. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 5, verses 18 to 21. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. That word keeps is guards. It's watch our own hearts. And the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And his Son, Yeshua the Messiah, this is the true God and eternal life. Meaning what? Don't let false teachers lead you off the path of righteousness. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Back to Romans chapter 16. Verse 18. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Yeshua the Messiah but their own belly. Just another way of saying, they're just after your goods. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. 
for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad in your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. What's that a reference back to? Genesis 3.15 The grace of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah be with you. Amen. So what's he mean? The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Yep. Yeah, but it talks about you know the feet preparation. Then where you crush, that's how you crush Satan. Yeah. So Messiah will return. Satan will be bound away. Messiah will rule and reign. It is coming. So, verses 21 to 27, quickly, and then we'll do a summary of the book of Romans. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. I thought Paul wrote it. No, Paul dictated it. Remember Paul's handwriting? His eyes are really bad. So he dictates it, and Tertius physically writes it. He's the scribe. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah be with you all. Amen. Now to him who was able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Yeshua the Messiah... According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest. And by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. According to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Yeshua the Messiah forever. Amen. Now let's do our summary. So turn back with me to Romans chapter 3 verse 31. And we're just going to hit some of the key verses to remind us of the key principles of the book of Romans. Romans 3.31 Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So Paul tells us right from the beginning, he is not trying to tell us that the law has been abolished. Even though theologians throughout the last 2,000 years will say Paul came to tell us the law has been abolished. Paul says, not true. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What is sin? 1 John 3, 4. Sin is lawlessness. So Paul says, shall we continue to break God's commandments so we can show how gracious God is? He says, God forbid. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? The next key verse I see is 6. six I kind of skipped over 5.13, which we discussed earlier. Sin is not imputed when there is no law, which shows us conclusively that the law still does apply. But in Romans 6.16, 
Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness, which means if God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and Constantine in the 4th century said, don't keep the Sabbath, do Sunday instead, does it matter which one we listen to? The answer is it matters to a great deal. Who is God? Is it the Lord or is it the Pope? It's the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Does that sound like the law has been abolished? No. Chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So should we live in the flesh or in the spirit? In the spirit. Does the spirit tell us to follow the commandments or to break them? To follow them. Chapter 9, verses 14 to 15. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? His answer? Majinoito. Certainly not. God forbid. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. That's Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14 when he says, I will be whom I will be. Paul is just explaining what that means. And I will have compassion whomever I will have compassion. Then to chapter 10, verse 4. For Messiah is the end of the law. No, he's the goal of the law. He's the objective. He's the purpose of the law. Chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, know with your mouth that the Lord is Yeshua. The Lord there is the same Lord we see throughout the Old Testament from beginning to end. Yeshua is the Lord. The Lord is Yeshua. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. For with the heart, if you love the Lord, what do you do? You keep his commandments. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. And so all Israel will be saved, as it's written. 
The deliverer will come out of Zion and will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Then we have Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. That word holy is hagios. The same word that is saints in Revelation 14, 12, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of our Messiah, Yeshua. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Then chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's that same fulfilled, plurao. If you love your neighbor, you will do no harm. You'll break no commandment toward them. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, law, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law which also tells you that in Matthew 5.17 Messiah didn't fulfill the law and make them go away or there wouldn't be any need to fulfill them now would there and then we have Romans chapter 14 verses 12 and 13 so that each of us shall give account of himself to God Therefore let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Meaning we help each other grow, we lead each other toward the Lord. We don't tear each other down and drive them away from the Lord. And last one is chapter 15, verse 4. Whatever things were written before, which refers to the Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So is the Old Testament for us to discard, to ignore, to run away from? No, it's there for us to learn from. And with that, we fit the 8 o'clock hour. We finish the book of Romans. What do we say when we finish the book? We say, Chazak, Chazak, Benish, Chazak, which is be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. For how are we strengthened as believers? But by studying the word of God.